expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. The prisoners will not be harmed until they're found guilty. <laughs> Can we assume you mean this will be a fair trial? Yes, absolutely equitable. Continuing these proceedings, I must caution you that legal trickery is not permitted. This is a court of fact. We humans know our past, even when we're ashamed of it. I recognize this court system as the one that agreed with that line from Shakespeare. Kill all the lawyers. Which was done. Leading to the rule, guilty until proven innocent. Of course, bringing the innocent to trial would be unfair. Present the charges. Criminal, you will read the charges to the court. I see no charges against us, Your Honor. You are out of order. This criminal answers with any word other than guilty. <laughs> Good morning, London. It is Thursday, March 11th, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color and color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today, where our subject is, believe it or not, Ann Coulter is coming to Canada. And we're in the process of trying to get in hold of Miss Coulter right now, who is booked for the show today, and we're still in the process of making that connection. Uh, Robert, Anne's coming to the University of Western Ontario right here. I know, the day on, before RFK. <laughs> yes, on March 22nd, 2010. She is certainly uh, the author of four New York Times bestsellers. I have three of them right here that I've read. And uh, hopefully we'll get a hold of her soon, because if we don't talk to her, we're going to have to talk about her, I guess. Oh, eh? dear. She's not used <laughs> Just to like that everybody else. <laughs> right. Um, you know, a lot of people, I might as well get this out of the way while we're in the process here. Um, don't You know, they, they take a look at Ann Coulter, as perhaps I have too. I've read three of her books and maybe dismiss her on some, some grounds. Or, and, and I certainly find her stuff enjoyable to read. It's always, it's she always fun. She has a humor about right. her. She's witty. And, uh, but what, what a lot of people don't realize is that, uh, you know, she's no dummy. She's, a, she's a, an extremely educated person. She's been the correspondent for human events, uh, the legal correspondent. She's, she's a syndicated columnist for Universal Press Syndicate. She's on all sorts of uh, TV shows. She's named one of the top 100 public intellectuals by federal judge Rich, Richard Posner in 2001. She clerked for the Honorable Pasco Bowman, the second of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit, an attorney in the Department of Justice Honors Program for Outstanding Law School Graduates. She was a litigation associate in New York City. 
and uh, she's worked with the Senate Judiciary Committee in New York. She's handled crime and immigration issues um, in Michigan. From there, she became a litigator with the Center for Individual Rights in Washington, D.C., which is certainly an issue of interest to us here, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And um, with a particular emphasis on freedom of speech, civil rights, and the free exercise of religion, which are the key issues. Um, one of the things I, under, I also understood um, that, oh, also appearing with her in London and in Ottawa and Calgary when she does appear here will be someone else who's been a guest on the show, and that's Ezra Levant, of course, the lawyer, author, political activist with his book Shakedown. And um, basically, you know, these are all people who have been kind of victims, haven't they? They, they are victims, and... Uh it's interesting that Coulter's book, new book, talks about liberals using victims, but not, not the same kind of victims as, uh, as Ezra was. That's right. Uh, you know, um, I have some names to read for you here. Tell me what you, if this, this rings a bell for you at all. You know, uh, what, what do these people all have in common? Uh, Lawrence Solomon, Mark Emery, Ezra Levant, Kathy Shadle, Dr. Christoph Christopher Essex, Connie Fournier, Mark Fournier. Ring a bell? They've all been on this show. Well, that's one of the things. <laughs> that's true. That's one of the things. But the other things is that, uh, you know, they ha also have expressed their opinions publicly. And the main thing is that they're all basically people on the right. Yes. Who find themselves in an uh, attack by a legal system, strangely enough, okay? And with that legal system putting them under attack, um, they all find themselves censured in some way um, that people on the left don't. People on the left seem to be able to get away with saying all kinds of things without being censured. So There is a double standard. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. A double standard is an understatement. So, uh, you know, generally all of these people, I was looking at, for example, Lawrence Solomon, author of The Deniers, labeled a denier because of his beliefs. Political beliefs? No. Scientific beliefs of all things, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Emery. Basically, remember, ostensibly being extradited to the States for being a, a pot seed seller, right? A, a crime, what is it, fined in Canada about $200? Right. We can get the death penalty in the right. States. But what is actually on his extradition papers? The words activist and publisher. Yes. That's what they're extraditing him for and for effectively ex expressing his opinion. He was on the show January 28th. We had Ezra Levant, um, again, author journalist, political activist, right? Writes a book, Shakedown, says something unpopular, it's the language police coming in. Kathy Shadle, Five Feet of Fury, the same issue. Co-author of The Tyranny of Nice, she's an outspoken critic of human rights commissions. And by the way, Bob, those uh, two people, Ezra Levant and Kathy Shadle, are on the board of the directors for the International Free Press Society, which is an organization helping to bring Ann Coulter into Canada. Was oh, that right? Tour, yes. Well, see, I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, that's an interesting fact. And uh, then, of course, there's Dr. Christopher Essex of the university right here, co-author of Taken by Storm, again, uh, labeled a global warming denier by the media. Even in, in the Parliament of Canada, he was put down and denied. And uh, another scientist, not a person out there with a major political opinion that he's trying to promote. And, of course, Connie and Mark Fournier, again, on the right, ran a Free Dominion website, and they found themselves in front of a Human Rights Commission not because of what they were saying, but because of... Uh, basically what their subs subscribers what their subscribers and people were saying online you know like in the in the chat groups for yeah. heaven's sakes and so these people had to run away to the states where apparently maybe things aren't all that bad or all that different than they are from here so basically 
th- that they should all find themselves on their way to the show here too as well is kind of interesting. Now, um, another thing I wanted to say, you know, we always say, uh, now, Ann Coulter is not here right now. How, how are we doing? Any connections yet? Not yet? Okay, keep working on it, guys. We do have a number to connect her. Um, and we'll hope to hopefully get a hold of her because she's due here soon. Um, you know, I, I hope we get Ann because, you know, I kind of anticipate a somewhat difficult interview with her should we get her because I do share so much of the sentiment and general points that she makes. Yet but you also, and we also, disagree with a lot she oh, has yeah. to say. And and sometimes abhor some of the comments she makes, especially the ones, uh, including the ones made to express and demonstrate her her, her sentiment on a lot of things. Um, without her here to actually answer to some of these things that I love to ask her right now, I guess the best thing we can do is, is point out some of the things that maybe um, our general views of, of Ann Coulter. Uh, it's interesting that she's going to be appearing here at the university in two weeks, and of course you already mentioned... Um, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. is going to be appearing as well. Right, R.F. Um, Kennedy Jr. That's right. And um, she, she did write in her book, Godless, uh, on page 188, she, she's accusing Robert Kennedy Jr. By the way, there was an ad promoting this just, just before our show started this mm-hmm. morning, where she talks about shortly after the tragedy of Hurricane Katrina, how Robert Kennedy Jr. wrote a column claiming global warming caused the hurricane. <laughs> and she writes, the only human malady RFK Jr. hasn't blamed on global warming is Mary Jo Kopechny's death. <laughs> See, there's that humor again, eh? She's very witty. Even yeah. global warming devotees at the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change have said there's, there is variation in hurricanes from decade to decade with no significant trends over the 20th century evident, end quote. RFK's theory might have gotten more traction, but for the sudden groundswell of support for the theory that George Bush caused the hurricane. (laughs) (laughs) So you can see that... um, I remember back in the 70s, we used to blame the Russians on all the bad weather. Don't we still? (laughs) No, now we blame George Bush. Now we blame George Bush. We blame (laughs) our own side for the weather. Uh, Yes. And, of course, another big difference is um, the whole issue of, I guess... Well, God, the whole the whole concept of of, of a belief in a deity, and, um, and I hear that's pretty popular out there, though. It is, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, even people who are are strong religionists or believe in religion very strongly, mm-hmm. um, often, and I've I've done that research on the show here. They don't vote like the way you might think. No, and and certainly. Um, just because they're religious doesn't mean they carry that literally into into the voting booth. In fact, uh, the studies I've seen is that religious people tend to vote a little more rationally than the non-religious, which is a very strange, you know, if you think about it, dichotomy. And and uh, you're going to say something? No, I was just thinking that it's not necessarily that strange. For example, uh, uh, just to reveal perhaps a little bit about myself. I mean, I'm not religious at all, but I was born and raised into a Catholic environment. Mm-hmm and uh, schooled in it. And education was really, really drilled into you in knowledge and and critical thinking in the Catholic schools that Mm. I've gone to. So it's not necessarily that strange to think that people, at least from from my own personal perspective with Catholicism, uh, think critically and don't just follow the herds when it comes to uh, voting. Uh, um, That's a nice thing to know, yeah, I guess. But uh, I don't know that it... it, um it makes me feel any better. <laughs> I didn't know I was, I was trying to make you feel better. About it. Uh, 
it's it's also an interesting thing that she speaks of the godless left, you know, yeah. and and I often wonder what that means, and in because if I were to apply from that reference the, the label to myself, I would have to be considered maybe the godless right, wouldn't wouldn't you say that? And yeah. uh, um, although normally I would never use references to deities in my advocacy of individual rights or freedom, and I think that's we where... We don't usually do that on the show anyway. No. And I think that's where there's a, there's a strong disconnect in, in certain parts of the right. Um, I think that uh, using references to atheists and criticizing the left seems to me to be a bit of a meaningless exercise to, to a large degree. Mm -hmm. Because it defines people, and I've argued this before, in terms of what they do not believe, rather than what in terms of what they do believe in. Exactly, and I've always held that view, Bob, is that when people ask me usually what um, what do you believe in as far as a god, mm -hmm. uh, I've always been very reluctant, though I've always, I usually say atheist, though, just to cut the conversation short, and you know, it's short and sweet, but mm -hmm. I always felt uncomfortable saying that, oh, here I am, this is part of me, what I don't believe in. You know, I'm also not a Knights of Columbus member, you know, right, <laughs> I'm also right. not this, you know, I'm not a million things, but to define yourself by what you don't believe in is a little odd to me. Interesting. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I, I would think, wouldn't it be more effective to identify the ideas that the left does believe in rather than the ideas that they don't believe in, mm. identify those ideas, and then use the process of reason to argue against their positions. That's the way I would do it. Yeah. Um, and, and using reality as the arbiter of any kind of, of a dispute, you know. Um, in my experience, too, religion generally has very little to do with what, whether someone's left or right wing in the broader sense of the term, and in the sense of how they vote, you know, or the, or the way they, they, um, they, they approach government, really. Have you found that yourself? Well, if you think about it, they, I believe the vast majority of Canadians are Christian, and um, the vast majority of Canadians are left wing. So I don't think that there's a one-to-one a, a -one relationship between your religion and your politics. No, there isn't, of course. And and, and you get these, um, for example, in, in Canada, um, Catholics, for example, who are officially opposed to abortion, mm -hmm. a major issue with Ann Coulter, um, tend to vote liberal. Yes, yeah. And, and the Liberal Party has always been a major uh, ab abortion supporter in that sense. In fact, um, one of the things uh, Ann brings up in one of her books is how um, the whole liberal left just he depends so heavily upon this issue of abortion, like almost irrationally. And it's, it's interesting, that's a question people are asking now, because Michael Ignatieff has just recently gone on this weird campaign talking about abortion when it's not even an issue in this country. <laughs> I found that fascinating that he'd bring that, that, that up again. And I, it just didn't I couldn't figure out what, why is he bringing this up out of the blue? And then you go, look back at Ann Coulter's book and you can start guessing one or two reasons why that might be the case. Yep. Um, it appears we don't have her on, on the line yet. I don't know how that's, how that's coming. We'll get an update. Going to take a quick break right now. And what you're about to hear is something that might sound a little bit like Ann Coulter might have sounded. I was hoping she'd be able to hear it and respond to it. Because this is from um, a recording... Um, or actually, actually a broadcast, actually, a television broadcast that was um, originally broadcast back on July 12th in 2003, when, of course, um, George Bush was still the President of the United States. I think uh, John Chrétien was still our Prime Minister. 
And this was broadcast on the American CBS UPN network out of Detroit, taken from the television talk show Street Pete. And um, this was provided to me by Viacom Stations Group of Detroit, to whom our thanks are extended. They actually sent me a videotape of this because oh. I asked them for it. And um, just a quick thing on uh, what Americans might be thinking of Canada these days with our liberalized policies. Canada, oh Canada, land of the free and immoral. There are left-wing political annex now paving the way for cannabis tokers to pop it, pass it, and possess it. What will this do for us in the States, and how does it affect our homeland security efforts? Same-sex marriage, now to be recognized in our neighboring Canada, the impact it will have on Americans crossing the border to tie the knot. And trash or treasure, they increasingly dump and drill their garbage in our backyards, using us as a way station. Is this indicative of what they think of us? Street Beat, the show that's not afraid to tackle the tough issues in your community, your neighborhood, on your street. Our issues this week, the liberalization of Canada. Is it making them our friend or foe? But first, my two cents. Canada is no friend to the U.S. If they are, they sure have a funny way of showing it. They abandon us during Operation Iraqi Freedom, continue to carelessly dump their filthy trash in our country, and turn their noses up at our drug laws, marriage covenants, and morality in general. Their fake handshakes and half-smiles are laughable when supposed agreements just turn into what they want to do. That's fine. They don't care for us, and frankly, they can do what they want in their country. But when what they do begins to affect how we live, therein lies the problem. Their continuing downward spiral of immorality is affecting what decency, neighborly manners, and morality we have left, making them more foe than any friend I'd care to have. <laughs> Ouch, eh? Yes, indeed. <laughs> Can you imagine, eh? And that's just part of part of that. And and I get the impression she doesn't like us. Um, <laughs> yes, and it's all about the liberal liberal trends of Canada, so, so to speak. And uh, interesting in uh, in her book, Godless, uh, um, Anne Coulter refer in referring to Kyoto, uh, she writes, "Quote: Soon, some countries began to realize they could sign Kyoto while being exempt from having to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, such as China and India. Others signed it and then proceeded to increase their greenhouse emissions, like Canada. She picks on us, right? <laughs> By 2005, Canada was producing 24 percent more carbon dioxide than it had in 1990, whereas the U.S. was producing only 13 percent more. So you see, uh, we're worse even on that scale." Um, once again, uh, we were expecting to have Ann Coulter on the show this morning. We're still making attempts to contact her. We were given all the contact numbers. She didn't want to give us her number because she said she would uh, call in on the show today. But the reason we're even talking about Ann Coulter is because Ann Coulter is coming to London, Ontario, uh, Monday, March 22nd, here at the University of Western Ontario. There's a website that people can go to to find out the information about that, Ava. Yes, www.coulterincanada.com. Um, and, of course, she's also going to be scheduled to appear on the Michael Corrin show come March 23rd, and hopefully he won't have the same problem that we're having right now. <laughs> uh, you know, you were telling me, Robert, you were in a bookstore the other day, and, and 
you said, tell me about the books you saw on the bin when, about Ann Coulter. You were just talking. Oh, actually, it wasn't a bookstore. Oh, well, where? it was online. Oh, online. With okay. chapters, right? And I well, was uh, I was in on a shopping spree for some books. Uh, amongst them were Ann Coulter's and some by uh, some about Ayn Rand and and uh, John McMurray, a person that you're always talking about. I really wanted to read, but the Ann Coulter ones. I I, I look up Ann Coulter's books, and that's fine. Yeah, I ordered a few of those, and then. Um, there is a slew of books about hating Ann Coulter. I've never seen such invective before um, about a particular author than that I've seen about Ann Coulter. And when I went on to YouTube to um, have a look at some of the things that she's been doing recently in anticipation of this show, in anticipation of actually having her on the show, um, all I could really find was a lot of outtakes from shows which are absolutely ridiculing Ann Coulter, picking on her statements, um, you know, a few outrageous statements, which I don't really want to repeat here on the air, but pretty outrageous statements, and they would use that as uh, examples of, see, see why the right is wrong? And, you know, it was just quite, she's, she's quite a controversial person down in the States. She, she, you either love her or you hate her. Well... You know, I could be a little bit on on both sides of that scale, but uh, certainly her strength is in criticizing the left wing, quote liberal establishment, whatever yes, that might be. Yes, which she be. does very well, by the way, and, and 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 very well. Yes, I agree, and that's 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 the thing that I really like. Um, whether I would consider her the best spokesman for the right in terms of what our goals would be, that's a, that's a mixed bag again. Well, see, see, that's uh-huh. where we have to distinguish ourselves. We're not necessarily right-wing, as you say at the beginning of the show. We are just right. In other words, we look at both sides of the issue. We'll come down on the left side quite often. I, wouldn't even, I don't even want to use those terms. We'll come down on the right side, mm-hmm. the correct side, because we, we um, look at the sides from both arguments. And, for example, we'll be socially so-called liberal, fiscally so-called conservative, whereas I think we can probably peg Ayn uh, Ayn Coulter uh, as as large C, conservative, large R, Republican, and um, that's not exactly where we are. No, not not, not us personally, that's for sure. Um, But we would all be considered sort of on the right in the broadest, um, you know... You mean personally, you and I? Yes. Yeah. Uh, We're more or less perceived as that. Yes. And, you know, there's almost seems to be, uh, I noticed in, in uh, which book is this one I've got? This is out of her book, Slander, Liberal Lies About the American Right. And, uh, again, it's always sometimes defending something that's not even an issue. And she talks about how liberals create mythical enemies to justify their own, quote, viciousness and advance their agenda. And uh, talking about the religious right as being the, uh, you know, the most horrible thing that's out there, right? Mm-hmm. And she says the very phrase is a meaningless concept, an inverted construct of the left's own lifestyle. Now, I don't know that the religious right is a meaningless concept. And, um, and uh, basically, you know, I don't know because I, I've run into the, uh, the religious right. Hey, I understand we've got Anne with us now. Uh, is she there now? Hello, Anne? I- Hello, can you hear me? I can indeed. Welcome to the show. Yes, welcome. I'm sorry I'm late. Well, so are we. We've been talking about you instead of to you. <laughs> Might be more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Did you happen to catch any of it? Uh, no, no, I didn't. Oh, well, then we've got a few questions we really want to ask you. Um, one of the things is, um, you missed the beginning of the show, of course. Basically, you're coming to the university, yes, to, to London, Ontario. Yeah. And you'll be up here at the University of Western Ontario? Yeah. What brings you to Canada? Have you been to Canada before? 
not not professionally, but yes, I've been to Canada before, not for years. I haven't really been much of any place for years. I've been working. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, I have to give you a real warning. Uh, when you do come to Canada, I don't know if anyone's warned you about this, but up here, the color blue means conservative, <laughs> and the color red is liberal. Well, thank you. That makes a lot more sense. You know, our division <laughs> breaks down from the 2000 election when Gore refused to concede and, and the counting went on and on and on. And the network chose it. And, I, I, I mean, everyone sort of recognized at the time, though this has been lost to history, that the reason they made the right-wingers red was that they just thought it was a little too spot-on with, with the Democrats, getting a little close to calling them commies. So they reversed what your normal thinking would be. <laughs> I was I was so curious about that because I was wondering, like, don't you? Doesn't everybody call you know the commies reds, right? The yeah. reds, right? And I was wondering why would why would the so-called uh, Republicans or conservatives possibly put up with that with that label there? And it certainly confuses we Canadians when we're watching your elections down there. Well, it confused all of us. We tried resisting for a while, but it's one of those things you just. You can't fight the machine. <laughs> now, now uh, just a question for you. Is, to you, is there a distinction between right-wing, the, the terms right-wing, Republican, and conservative? Are they all the same thing to you? Are they, are they, is there any distinction in those terms to you? Um, there's a lot of overlap. Uh, but... Um, I mean, there's a difference between conservative and Republican because there are some Republicans who aren't conservative. Um, there aren't too many conservatives who aren't Republicans, though. Um, there used to be a lot more. Um, this is probably very boring to Canadians, but um, many years ago there were the famed, you know, Southern Democrats um, who were very patriotic and right-wing. Um, basically, with Reagan's election, it was the end of that. Same thing with... Um, blue-collar voters, union guys. You had a lot of them voting Democrat, but, you know, their number one issue was not that, that you know, global warming and that beachfront property might erode. It was not um, abortion on demand um, or, or promoting girl firemen. So, you know, they'd always, their, their parents were Democrats, their grandparents were Democrats, they always voted Democrat, but they were conservatives. There's a lot less of that now as the union guys and the Southern Democrats have now joined the Democratic Party, and probably a lot of the Northeast liberals who used to have the Rockefeller Republicans, John Lindsay in New York. Um, basically, the Northeast, the New York area, is very liberal. So people who call themselves Republicans um, were, were, were indistinguishable from Democrats, and sometimes even worse. We have the same problem up here, really, um, in the sense of our liberals and conservatives in terms of policy are, are quite indistinguishable from each other. Well, they're both, they're both socialists, Bob. Uh, I, I, I agree. From I our mean, perspective. From our perspective, certainly. <laughs> that is very frustrating. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, you're coming to Canada, you realize you're coming, you know, into the, the heartland of liberalism, <laughs> especially here in Ontario. And, yes, I'm going to try to shake things up. <laughs> uh, I, well, I think we need a little shaking up. Now, Anne, I've, I've actually have read from cover to cover your books, Trees and Godless and Slander. I have not uh, read Guilty. Tell me a bit about that book. Uh, wh and who, by the way, there are seven in all. 
Seven books. The only reason I mentioned that is I didn't link to. There's a web page with all my Canadian speeches that I went to last night, and I was going to link to it on my web page. And I screamed in horror because (laughs) it claimed I had written four New York Times bestsellers. You know, some people, sometimes people will forget the last one. No, there were seven, so I can't (laughs) link to it until they correct that. Um, Anyway, which one were you asking about? Well, well, I understand that the book Guilty is the one that you're going to be uh, bringing with you to this function here at the University of Western Ontario and uh, promoting that will be available for purchase according to the promotional material I'm yes, reading that's here. The la- that one came out last year. And who's guilty of what, if I may ask, uh, well, since the, that's the title of the book? <laughs> yes. The guilty are the ones who claim to be victims. Ah. Um, and that's basically the theme of the book, that, um, that, that you have an honorable status, in almost noble status in America by claiming to be some sort of victim. So, you know, he who is offended first wins. Um, but the victims are just loud-mouthed um, offenders um, who are taking everything for themselves and, and are held above, above the normal rules of decorum, and they advance while weeping about their own victimhood. So you can always tell who the victims are, the real victims, because they're the ones who are being accused of, of being the offenders, and you can tell the real, the real offenders, the perpetrators, because they're the ones claiming to be the victims. And you see it in a million, million different contexts, um, including, for example, all these... Um, I mean, there was just another one last week, because I have a small section on it in the book. All the alleged... Uh, um, racist acts on college campuses one after another it always turns out that it was the people who are claiming to be victims who did it to themselves and there was another fake news put up last week at uh let's see it was university it was a california school university of california at i forget what town but i think i linked <laughs> to it on my webpage. i know i did and I've got a question for you. Down down in the States, do you have the same equivalent as we do here in Canada with our human rights commissions and tribunals, which uh, basically spend a lot of time and money dealing with those particular issues you're talking about, the, the victims? Do you have anything similar down there? Um, I think our only equivalent would be ABC, NBC at CBS and the New York Times. <laughs> If only it was so simple like that up here. (laughs) Right, an official government organ that tries you for um, un-PC speech. Uh, No, we have not gone that far yet. Well, don't be surprised if you see movements to that effect, because up here, as as you uh, probably know with Ezra Levant, who's also going to be appearing with you here and and has been on this show as well, um, human rights commissions up here can be quite um, kangaroo courts, uh, to, to say the least. Eh, Bob? Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, Bob uh, Metz here uh, uh, actually defended somebody as a private citizen. He defended um, a person here in London, Ontario, who was brought before a human rights commission, and he actually won. Yeah, a I was, rare I, event. I understand. Part of the reason I was able to win was because I was not a lawyer. And, and no, tr- honestly, because some of the things that I was told by the judge in the case, who was a very nice gentleman, by the way, um, although the whole process was insane. Right. Um, uh, but he told me that because I was not a lawyer, I could not be held in contempt for the things I was saying about the process. Whereas a lawyer going into a human rights commission hearing, if if they went in and said, I, I you know, I don't I don't abide by these insane rules, he could be disbarred and be be you know. Uh, wow, although I generally um, support holding lawyers to a higher standard or just generally 
imprisoning them. Um, <laughs> this does seem this does seem a, a little unusual. You know, I I I hate to say anything at all kind. Um, you, you know, that's about funny. American liberals, but but I I think that would be hard to get off the ground in the U.S. for more than. I mean, the liberals would try it. They would love to have a commission that reviews people's speech and, and puts you in jail for hurting someone's feelings. Um, but, but I don't think it would last very long, and, and usually I'm on the side of making fun of all these First Amendment lovers, because um, in my lifetime it's most, mostly been used to protect pornographers and treason. Um, Yet and still, this is so ingrained, even though, as I write about this week, at least in the case of lawyers, um, liberals love to pre pretend to be the big, you know, free speech mavens and defending unpopular speech. Well, the speech they're defending isn't unpopular with their friends. Um, you know, they'll stand up at a Hollywood convention and, and come out against the religious right or something. Oh, good for you. That was a very brave. Um, and then go around or like the Dixie Chicks, standing up at, before a European audience yes. um, and denouncing George Bush. You know, I know she didn't do that in Fredericksburg, Mississippi. She waits <laughs> until she's before an Amer uh, America-hating European crowd. So most of the time it's, you know, fake bravery. But still, the fake bravery, the words of it, has sort of gotten tattooed on their brains. And I think it would be very hard, because every once in a while in the U.S. they have these um, hate speech codes on the college campuses. Of course the college campuses, which are the most um, oppressive, fascistic, uh, um, it's exactly the opposite of the way universities are, are described. Oh, free and open inquiry. Wham! <laughs> You're being prosecuted for inappropriate laughing. And, you know, they tried those for a few years, but they really kind of fiddle, fizzled out. Inappropriate laughing? That was actually a charge. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, listen, Anne, we're, we're at the we're at the bottom of the hour. We just got to take a break quickly. What you're about to hear here, and I'm curious as to your reaction around the break when we come back. Um, I mentioned this before. This is from a, a, a U.S. broadcast back in 2003 out of Detroit, Michigan, in which they were talking about the growing liberalization trends in Canada and what that meant to the United States. And I'm wondering if any of that is, is part of your concern in coming to this country. But basically what they're talking about here is... And this was, this was taped in 2003 or originally... Um, um, broadcast in 2003. You have to remember at that time George Bush was still the president. We had uh, Jean Chrétien, uh, a left-wing-ish government up here, and um, things were a little different, and things have changed a bit today, so I thought we might reflect on that when we come back on the other side of this. Uh, Ann Coulter, will you be with us till the end of the hour? Yes, I Ter will. Terrific. We'll hang in there, listen to this, and we'll get your opinion on this at, when we come back from the break. Earlier this month, the Ontario Court of Appeals ruled Canadian law preventing gay marriage unconstitutional and void. Bills are now pending to decriminalize possession of pot and the environmental battles we've had with them over trash stinks to high heaven. The impact of these liberal social antics hurting Canada's relationship with us is our pulse of the street. The United States is Canada's most important ally and defense partner. The history of our relationship reflects a unique friendship based on shared values and shared experiences. Canada and Michigan have had such a long uh, relationship and a very close relationship, uh, and it's concerning. Today, that friendship threatened and likely to weaken if liberal trends in the Canadian culture continue. All of those things that they've been doing doesn't make them good neighbors. 
And while many Canadian officials have jumped on the humanistic bandwagon, others recognize the slippery slope. I don't see that as, as necessarily really doing anything to better those relations. I think because for some people it will just add to their concern. It's like any long-term relationship. Being a good neighbor is a two-sided equation which gets out of whack when one steps on the other. We're hoping that Canadians will wake up and, uh, and at least come to grips with uh, how much I think harm they're doing, not only to our environment here in Michigan, to their own, uh, and to the, I think, sound culture that, that we have here in the, in the great Midwest. No commercial. Ian, what did you think of that? Um, now, wait a second. That was, that was a Canadian broadcast no, or a Michigan broadcast? That was a Michigan broadcast. And, and, and I missed the, the, I was confused at the beginning. Who was mad about what gay marriage ruling? Well, it was basically, uh, it was basically um, the American uh, commentators on the show that were commenting on, and they were interviewing various officials and, and interested people on, on what was going on in Canada and how that might threaten the United States. And basically saying that Canada is getting very liberal because, of course, uh, we were legalizing gay marriages. And, oh, you did? Oh, back in 2003. And uh, liberalizing pot laws and various other things that seem to be very threatening to the people on the other side of the border there. And that's a lot of the things that they're reacting to. Okay. Well, I think Canada has reason to be concerned in the other direction now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, certainly one thing that's changed a lot is, is of course, uh, a change in governments. Um, yeah. You know, we're looking up here. We've got Stephen Harper and you've got Obama. It's almost uh, in terms of conservative. You know, remember those colors we were talking about at the beginning of the show? Right. Well, they're completely reversed, except that we're blue up here and um, you're blue down there, which means the yeah, opposite of our blue. I've got it right. That's yeah. going to be a relief. Yeah. <laughs> So, so do you see, is that, is that got anything to do with your visit to Canada because of, of our growing liberalization and our liberal trends that we have up here? Um, or is that not related to that at all? Um, well, the way things are going down here versus the way things are going in Canada, I think I'll be looking for some real estate. <laughs> <laughs> and where, where exactly would that real estate be located? <laughs> um, I guess in Winnipeg they won't make fun of my accent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got a question for you again, is that many Canadians, uh, certainly not us, but many Canadians love to hate the U.S. And you'll find it up here that there's always negative comments about the United States when they're talking politically, especially they'll call it U.S.-style healthcare or U.S.-style education or U.S.-style fill-in-the-blank. But down there, if... If any of your national commentators make a, a crack about the uh, Canada, like, for example, I think there was some quip about on Red Eye once about uh, the Canadian military, they actually had to end up giving an apology because up here the politicians got hold of it and there was uh, an international incident. Uh, well, if we yeah, I vaguely know about that. And uh, <laughs> the Red Eye censors, they're very quick on the trigger finger particularly after that and it wasn't so much what was said as i mean this can always happen you could make a joke you know two years ago about or not two years ago but sometime last year about you know fair or how about that guy i don't even know who he was this Corey something the actor who died yesterday i guess what if you know that you tape a show before he dies making fun of him 
Ah, yes. Right, and then the show runs six hours later, and that's what happened with Red Eye. There was some, I don't know the details. I remember there was some crack about the Canadian military. It comes on at three in the morning, that show. Yeah. Um, so it gets taped, obviously, like six hours earlier. And in the meantime, some Canadian troops, I think, had been killed in Afghanistan or something. Oh, I see. Yeah, that I see. was the problem. It's the pre-tape. <laughs> but it seems as if that there's a double standard. Americans really don't care, or maybe they're used to uh, people from abroad bashing them, you know, while Canadians really don't like it too much, and we really kick up a stink about it. Uh, well, I've made a few cracks about Canada. I know when, you have. I have back, heard them. <laughs> back when uh, the Canadians were, were caterwauling about the war in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> um, they actually have a chapter on Canada in my book, If Democrats Had Any Brains, They'd Be Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I remember, because this is my position on Canada, um, like, like many other things, like the Irish, the Canadians are either really, really good or really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> There's no middle ground. Which you got to love us or hate us, I suppose. Eh? <laughs> I remember and sometimes that. Sometimes both at the same time. <laughs> I remember that at least going through the uh, the internet, looking up some of the clips that you're uh, famous for. I guess is one of the ones is uh, talking about Canada sending troops to Vietnam or not sending them to Vietnam. Uh, we didn't officially, of course, but. Uh, I always have yeah, to counter. Yeah, so I'm still demanding that that full interview be played. <laughs> they, can, they don't really do that so much in the oh, U.S. anymore, but uh, it's the um, gotcha journalism of interviewing you for an hour and then you pulling out ten minutes. I remember we had to cross the border, at least I used to have to cross the border into Port Huron or Detroit quite often on, a, on business uh, at the time of... Um, of uh, the U.S. going into Iraq, and people down there were actually, well, not to me personally, but I heard stories of people not being served down there because they're Canadian, because we wouldn't support or wouldn't send troops to Iraq, and yet up here... Really? Going, oh, yes. And yet, and yet up here we're thinking, well, geez, we were in the Second World War years before the Americans ever fought Hitler. We were actually over there starting to, you know, started well before you guys. And, and we went oh, yeah. to Afghanistan and... Yeah, you know. No, there is much to Canadians, Canada's noble military history. Yeah, so I'd have to agree with you yeah. there. Yeah. And I'd like to, it's Bob talking, I'd like to ask you a question that Robert and I discussed while we were waiting to get in, get, get, a, get in hold of you there. Sorry. Uh, no, no problem. But, but you, speak, you speak a lot about uh, the godless left, so to speak. Yeah. What do you actually mean by that? Because... You know, there is a godless right, if, you, if you're taking that literally in the sense of beliefs and deities. Yeah. And, and yet I read in your, in, in your book, Godless, um, you write, uh, and I thought this was kind of funny, we are in God's image and, and, we're the only, and we're the only ones in God's image, which is why we eat escargot rather than worship them. <laughs> well, but, here's, but, but here's the statement, uh, quote, whatever your religious persuasion... If you believe we are distinct from the beasts, you're with God. Now, I believe that, that we're distinct from the beasts, but I don't know that my belief in that is not based on any sort of system of deities. I also support individual rights. I support most of the concepts. I, I, I support the idea, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. But I, for me, those are rational things to believe in. I don't really have to believe in a deity for that. Is, is there some disconnect here as far as how you and I might look at that? that you are either being influenced by the 
tradition um, of a religious belief and um, grafting on the results of that, or that I'm going to get you in the end and you will be a God believer, because if, if, if we're not in God's image, I've got to say the PETA people have a point. Um, I mean, yes, a porpoise looks different than we do and does not, despite some claims, have the advanced culture that we do. Um, and I want to get back to that in a second. Um, but, but, but if we have no souls, and then, then why can't you kill a person the way you can kill um, a porpoise? I mean, why can't you enslave a person the way you can put a porpoise at, at SeaWorld. I mean, I just think most people don't think through to the logic they are either secretly believing in without acknowledging it, um, that there is a higher being and we're in his image, or uh, you're grafting on to the results of that belief because that is part of the that is part of the Western tradition. That's and actually fascinating. Take it for That's well, actually fascinating, Anne, because um, of course everybody here is, is, is grown up in a Judeo-Christian sort of ethic. Right. However, what we, what I would, and perhaps Bob as well, would distinguish man from the animals is our rationality. We are the rational animal in that sense. And that's how I would arrive yeah. at those conclusions that you were just talking about, Anne. Um, I would arrive at the conclusion that I do not kill my fellow man because it's an irrational thing to do. And, and, and the, the, even the concept of individual rights is a very rational thing. Um, sure, if we wanted to be like, quote, the animals and live very primitively and devour each other and, and you know, quote the law of the jungle, which is always falsely uh, um, stamped on the capitalist system when, in fact, it's the socialist system that's the law of the jungle. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but, see, even there we agree on those issues, and yet... I've come to these beliefs not because of a, of a belief in any deity, but because of a belief that reality is my arbiter. That determines whether something is functional or not. Life is the determinant of value, and reason is the method by which to combine all those things. Um, well, I do that think some I'm going to get you both in the end, um, but if I can just point <laughs> out, look, there's some gorillas that have... Um, more rationality than some humans. And I'm pretty sure the two of you would say um, you cannot treat a, 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 I don't know what they, I don't know much about um, mental retardation, but just for the sake of argument, a very, very retarded human being. You would treat a human being differently even than a gorilla that, that is, you know, the, the top of the gorilla, gorilla class, always, top SAT scores. Um, it, it's not just rationality. There is more to it than that, whether you recognize it or not. Well, if we were sort of stranded on a desert island with a gorilla and there was no food left, the gorilla would, <laughs> would <laughs> go. go. <laughs> would have to go. <laughs> yeah, and the gorilla would go before the retarded human. Yes. So it's more than rationality. <laughs> you sense it deep in your souls whether or not you will acknowledge it. Well, we're the same species. I think that there's an affinity towards uh, people who are uh, alike. Or species who are alike, maybe, if you want to put it that way. I think I would... Um I would suggest that we eat Michael Moore first. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd have to agree with you. Well, <laughs> even over the ant. I don't know how... More I meat. I think that would leave a bad taste in my mouth one way or the other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listen, Ann, we're going to take a quick, quick break here. Now, you're, when, you, uh, when you're going to be in Canada, I understand you're going to be joined at all out of these events by Ezra Levant. Yes, I can't wait. Have you ever met him? No, 
know, but oh, so, so, um, he's published by um, the, but, the publisher of many of, of my books and now runs a publishing house up in Canada. McLennan so and Stewart, isn't mm-hmm. it? McLennan and Stewart, I think, isn't Correct. it? Correct. Yeah. Right. Uh, Taff, let, let, let's skip that next, the next clip and go straight and to the uh, Ezra Levant clip. Can we do that? And we're going to, we've just got a two-minute excerpt here from, um, and this might be good news for you, because the same people that are organizing uh, your event locally also organized an event last year here in London over the Human Rights Commission thing where they had four people show up. I'll I'll mention that later. Ezra Levant being one of them. And uh, the place was packed to the rafters, uh, i got to tell you. Was there any violence? (laughs) No, nothing like that. But um, this is a very abbreviated uh, clip of Ezra Levant uh, when he appeared uh, here in London. And it's, it's been cut down to two minutes. We originally broadcast this on the show here um, oh, about, about a year ago. You can look it up on our website on www.justrightmedia.org uh, where all our archived uh, issues are. Oh, but, good, um, but uh, certainly uh, you can uh, hear Ezra Levant there and a number of the other guests that are involved in um, having the fight uh, Human Rights Commission. We'll talk a little bit more about that after this break, but here's a sample of Ezra Levant as he appeared in London. Celine, thank you for that beautiful and uh, undeser- undeserved compliments to me. Thank you very much. And thank you to to London, Ontario, what an amazing turnout. Amazing. I'm so encouraged. You've made me so optimistic. And your being here is proof that Kathy's point is wrong. It, Canadians are for free speech. It's not Canadian to go quiet. speech, sometimes even offensive speech, is the safety valve that stops this rambunctious speech from spilling over into real and violent action. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the countries with the most free speech are the ones that are the most stable. And the ones with the least free speech are the ones where ideas and emotions, hatred and contempt, spill not into words, but into bombs. And, you know, I've set my Google alert for the phrase Human Rights Commission, so every day I get an email of a roundup of stories from around the world with Human Rights Commissions. And you know what I find? There is a tremendous correlation between places that don't have human rights, but that have human rights commissions. I'm always reading about human rights commissions and third world dictatorships, and it's not a coincidence, because they're using it as an Orwellian tool. We don't have human rights, but we'll... I have a press conference every week with our Human Rights Commission just to distract you, just to pretend that we care. The countries that are free don't need a commission of busybodies and naggers. And that's just a very, very short sample of Ezra Levant as he appeared in London last year. Uh, what do you have to think of that? You, you generally... I thought it was an excellent point. Good point. Um, that... What did he say? That the, the places with the fewest human rights have the most human rights commissions? <laughs> well, hmm, what does that say about Canada? I think are we you have sh- 11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you sure you want to come up here? 
Well, perhaps it will be my last visit for a while. I'll yeah. try to ba- break all the rules if I can just get a copy of them. Check <laughs> your rights at the border. You have to watch out because, you know, any police at the event might not be there to protect you, but to get you. <laughs> you never yeah, know. Usually, yeah, yeah, usually I just have to worry about the audience. Now I have to worry about the, yeah. the free speech um, opponents. No, and, and a couple of issues that always bug me uh, when when I see advocates on the right get into them because I, I think for me they're, they're, they're rather non-issues. One is the whole issue of evolution and the other one is abortion. Um, which of these two issues is is more prominent in your uh, Well, priority? obviously abortion since um, you, now, more than a million babies are being slaughtered every year. So that will remain an important issue. There isn't that much to say about it because um, <laughs> much like your human rights commissions, the Supreme Court has, has pretty much shut down debate. They won't let Americans vote on it. I mean, that's a it, democracy it, issue. Let us vote. But they know how the vote will come out, so well, we're not it, allowed to vote on abortion. Isn't it more of an individual rights issue, not a democracy issue? Well, uh, not in, in, this, in this particular case in this country. I, I, I mean, this is why I used to make fun of President George Bush for saying... Um, you know, before we pass any laws on abortion, we've got to change people's hearts and minds. Well, we could have changed every single person's heart and mind, though I'm pretty sure we have not changed, um, you know, well, Gloria Steinem's heart and mind on this. Um, maybe but, I should... but we don't know because we're not allowed to vote. We're not allowed to vote because the Supreme Court insanely uh, announced that in the penumbras of the emanations of the United States Constitution, and I highly recommend you read it, something no one in America does, or at least no one issuing laws and Supreme Court rulings does. Um, it's a short little document. I promise you there is nothing in it about abortion. There is nothing related to abortion. So they just invented a constitutional right to abortion. Well, once it's a constitutional right, like free speech, there's no law in the world that can overturn it. Well, in our country. Now, if it were up to you, would abortion be illegal? Yes. What would be what would be your ideal penalty, say, for a woman who had an abortion or a doctor who performed one? Would death? Death. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> no, you know, I, I, I warned you about her humor. I, I, I'm so glad you added. I'm just kidding because, to be honest with you, your answer is perfectly consistent with that belief. No, uh, it is. not not really. The no, point well, it, is. Look, I, I think bank robbery should be illegal, but it, but I don't know exactly, you know, what the penalties are, how you, um, you know, what the, what the levels of mitigation and aggravation in the crime are. I mean, these are state criminal law issues, um, but it has been taken out of the hands of the states, and I mean, that is one of the the beauty parts of of the United States that gets taken away when liberals start inventing rights from the Supreme Court, and I, I, I am well, in favor of, at least for a few years, an activist, a right-wing activist Supreme Court, which we have never seen. We'd be discovering in the penumbras and the emanations a right to a flat tax, you see, um, uh, a I'm right a- to bear nuclear arms, a right to free champagne for blondes, um, just crazy <laughs> stuff, so they could see what right-wing judicial activism would look like. Um, but, but the idea of the Constitution, which is the most freedom-promoting document ever, ever created, is that you have these 50 little experiments. And different states, and moreover, towns within the states would also have their own regulations. Can pornography be sold at the corner store or can't it? Will abortion be allowed or won't it? I promise you New York and California will make abortion up until age 13 legal for the rest of our lives. But, but you know, you can, you can see how different states work things out, and then the systems that work, and, you know, you can count up at the end of the year who has the most venereal diseases, who has the most out-of-wedlock births. The, 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 the set of laws that work can then be adopted by other states. When the Supreme Court or Congress 
unless it is a matter that has to be national, for example, national defense, when Congress or, or the Supreme Court step in and say, this is going to be the one-size-fits-all rule for the entire nation, there is no experimentation, there is no evolution, there is no learning or trying different things. And, and, and that is a matter of democracy, that we can't vote on what the laws are going to be on abortion. It's just out of our hands. Uh, again, you know, the, the abortion issue, you're saying, though, that a woman should go to jail if she had an abortion. And if you are saying that, are you not then saying that that woman has no individual rights? Or are you suggesting that... Well, the, you'd say the same thing about any murder. I think somebody who, who murders a person should go to jail. In some cases, get the death penalty. I doubt the death penalty would be a relevant issue in the case of abortion. You'd probably mostly be going after the abortions the same way. It was just in New York last week, a fantastic case. Um, this woman in Long Island getting a divorce. She talks to a hit man. She's upset that she's not to, kill, to, to maim her husband. She sh- didn't think she could afford a killing. <laughs> and um, she only had 20000 so okay, break his legs. And then she found out, oh, I can get him killed for 20000 So she gives the guy the $20,000, and of course, as an undercover cop. Um, if that had been an actual contract killer, in general, the contract killer gets gets a much higher penalty than, than the person who hires the contract killer. Um, but I'm just guessing from other state criminal laws. But, but surely there's a difference between a person killing another individual and a woman dealing with her own body and, and the fetus, the child, whatever you want to call it, the other human being inside her body. I would call it body. another individual. I, okay, <laughs> if you want to call it that. But even though it may be that, and I may accept that. that sure, indiv- but there are a lot of distinctions. That individual, though does not have rights that pre- precede the mothers it can't possibly have well that's only an argument for a law that says you say precede the mothers um, that's only an argument for a law that allows abortion in the case of the life of the mother and i am pretty sure there was never an abortion law um, a, an abortion prohibition that prohibited it in the case of the life of the mother <laughs> nobody wants that but when they start throwing in health they're talking about you know the girl showing up and she can't she can't fit into her prom dress oh okay well <laughs> Well, we'll have an abortion because she's going to get well, depressed. you know, I... I, I but there I re- are degrees of murder. If I could just get back to your main point. There are all kinds of degrees of murder. There's manslaughter. Um, there's first degree, second degree, three, third degree. Even within the, the, the basic category, there are aggravating circumstances. There are mitigating circumstances. So, you know, to, it's, it's the fact that there will be different... <laughs> it'll be treated like a murder, <laughs> like all murders. <laughs> Understood. I think I think she's made her point that it is a case for the courts to and, and individual judges to look at the case uh, state by state, case well, state uh, by state, or yeah, but province that, but by province. But that's a legal argument. I'm trying to make a moral. I argument I know what here. your argument is, and I actually agree with Bob's argument on this: is that uh, a right is a right, and and the, and the woman's yeah, mother's see, right. And I would even like to. Sim- Person's right. What about the little fetus sleeping peacefully in his mother's womb? What did well, he do to anybody? He didn't do he anything. Right to life. Uh, uh, he, he, well, regrettably, you know, I would argue that, that even when there, when a child is born, he doesn't have rights in the sense that we think of rights as adults. He can't sign sign contracts. He can't make deals. He, he cannot even defend himself. Children I have do not status. Want the fetus signing any contracts. I would not <laughs> that. The paper it's written on. <laughs> I don't think we're going to solve this abortion debate right now. No, nor nor many other. Debates. So you have to convince me you're atheist. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, I started off my my political career with right to life, believe it or not, and I'm very sympathetic to the issue. But I draw the line at 
uh, at laws putting people in jail for abortion. I, I would I would totally support um, governments not promoting it. Absolutely, or governments paying for it, paying for all that stuff. No problem there because that's where a large issue comes. I think there's certainly an issue with abortion in terms of a lack of informed consent. On, on the parts of, of, of women who get abortions often, you know, they just get right, shoved into... Right. I agree with all that stuff. But, but I, of, I could never bring myself to the point of putting a woman in jail or punishing her um, for something that is totally a biological function within herself, as long as you're dealing with this birth and pre-birth situation. Once that child is separate from the mother, it doesn't have rights, it has a status, society can protect it at that point, but not before before birth. I mean, you're not an right indi- before it draws its first breath. Well, you know, you're not an individual until, you, until you're an individual. <laughs> I mean, well, and, that's, and that, isn't that the name of the group you represent? Years, people said you're not an individual if you, your descendants come from Africa. I don't know how you get off making that determination of who's an individual, except that you've safely made it through the womb. Um, <laughs> so you're in. Well, no, that's, I think it's a pretty, pretty clear dividing line. You, you cut that umbilical cord and you're an individual. Uh, that seems to be a, a physical Crazy. reality. <laughs> <laughs> Complete madness. Okay. Uh, but anyways, that's when I think individual rights begin to accrue. They can't accrue any earlier than that because you don't even have an individual. Somebody has a pro-choice girlfriend. I, d- <laughs> I don't think so. I think you're reading me completely wrong, and that's where I think a lot of the uh, the, the whole right wing has more of a debate within it, within the right side. Yeah, more, more, there more, really isn't that much of a debate on yeah. abortion. i got to tell you, there's a lot more debation, uh, deba- uh, debate on uh, issues like, uh, you know, the capital gains tax. It's curious that, you know, we're always being, we conservative Republicans like myself, mm-hmm. are being harangued to drop as they're generally defa- called the, uh, the social issues. Gay marriage, abortion, teaching kindergartners fisting, that sort of thing. Those <laughs> are the issues we win on in 80% majorities. If we're going to start dropping stuff, drop the tax cuts, because we're not as popular on that. Though I am for both. Good. I Listen, wish we had more time. Yeah, I wish we did too. But believe it or not, the, the hour is over. Um, okay, I'm going to give my whole talk on abortion now just because of you. Okay, well. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, once again, everyone, want to hear, if you want to see Ann Coulter for yourself, come to University of Western Ontario on Monday, March 22nd. I understand it's uh, $10 for non students and free for students to see you on that Monday. Um, I hope you have a great time in Canada. I hope it goes well for you. I look forward to seeing you on Michael Corrin's show, too. Oh, which me I understand too. That sounds appearing. great. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today, Anne. Thank you, Anne. Anytime. Great to talk to you guys. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. And I guess that's it for today's show. I guess we've got to get out of here, eh, Taff? Let's do it. Um, and we hope that everyone listening will join us again next week when we return with another edition of Just Right. Until then, you know what to do. Be right, act right, you know. But don't be silly. <laughs> Color it to black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be Oh, man, so I got back I just got back from New York City You been to New York? There, I got off the plane Guy comes up to me, goes Hey, Tom, welcome to New York But be careful of the crime Because New York's got some pretty deadly crime This offended me huge Because he's assuming that Canada Doesn't have any cool crime We have cool crime. You'd be proud of your crime. We're just not so blunt about our crime, that's all. We don't call it a drive-by shooting here in Canada. 
Here in Canada, we like to refer to it a little more as a hunting accident. <laughs> right. 